All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. And as you can see, we are not alone tonight. We have them. We're bringing them right in. No introduction. No nothing. Uh, we got our, our buddies down here, Mr. Alex Rudd and Mr. Andrew Hayes from the Tackle Talk podcast. And Just as always, fast, host, do they need an introduction? I apologize to cut you off, but do they need an introduction? No, not really. Uh, I think people. I do. Rudd, Rudd, everybody knows no. who Rudd is. I still feel like I need an introduction. Um, you know, I like it. It kind of makes me feel good about myself. So go ahead, Bailey. What nice words did you have to say? No. <laughs> Flutter your eyes a little bit. Oh. I think people have heard your guys' voices enough on this dang show, but you also have prevalent shows yourself. But uh, I mean, for anyone that's new to the show, uh, I'm I'm your host Bailey Agbrett, and here is the captain next to me, Mr. Andy Full. Everyone knows the Tackle Talk podcast, Mr. Andrew Hayes down below. Uh, don't let him fool you. He's actually like 45 years old. He's not 17. And uh, we have a lumberjack that randomly joined us, Mr. Alex Rudd. I have no idea who he is, but he's here and he's going to talk fishing. <laughs> I come out of the woods once once every six months just to talk about fishing. <laughs> Did you like that introduction? Is that better for you guys? <laughs> that was beautiful. It made me feel so good. <laughs> oh, we have God. a 12-year-old and a Sam Squatch. Yes. Yes. I'll tell you who it was. Is that damn Sasquatch? <laughs> damn Squatch. That's who took South over this podcast. Carolina. It's a yeah. Sam Squatch. Carolina. Listen, here, guys, just to kind of fill in the back of that little inside joke, my mouth doesn't work some days. I don't know what happens. There's some kind of redneck of knees that leaves my mouth, and I will say some shit that, like, I don't even understand what I'm saying. Like, I said something earlier to my wife, and she just looked at me and was like, what kind of Boomhauer backwoods redneck was that? Exactly. I will walk through the house and I'm just like, man, I'm going downbound town. Tell you what, man, I'm going here and go fishing, man. I'm downbound. No, all right, man. And just walk walk by and Bethany's like, I have no idea what you just said to me. You're gonna have to quit mumbling. I, I don't know what happens. Sounds like an episode of Moonshiners. <laughs> it's exactly what I sound like as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, that's incredible. Well, tonight's gonna be interesting because tonight we're gonna be diving into. uh some current trends in fishing and it's, you know, there's a lot of people talking about forward facing sonar and all this stuff, but there's some things that are, are trending in fishing or not trending in fishing that I think deserve to be talked about right now. Uh, and it's obviously with the schedule being announced today of the Bassmaster opens, I think this is actually some good timing to uh, bring some of these topics to light, especially with uh, the two circuit, both the, uh, both the Bassmaster opens and the MLF pro circuit, having some big changes to formatting, I think this is going to be... There it is. There it is. First thing I said, he popped up. I was like, he looks like he's ready for school pictures, son. That's what Rod said as soon as I joined. (laughs) That's amazing. We're we're definitely not going to have fun with this recording on social media. (laughs) (laughs) But this one's going to be fun because we have some topics tonight that we're going to be discussing and that relate to kind of, you know, the future of, of fishing it more specifically bass fishing, but fishing in general. And I think uh, having you guys here is going to be pretty dang interesting getting all of our viewpoints together, but uh, fellas, how about we just, we hop into it. Should we we just dive right in? Go for it. All right. Well, the first topic tonight is one that really came to my mind after seeing the uh, the Bassmaster Open <clears throat> posted, and I think through the past eight years, this has been commented in their their posts or when they announce schedules, and that's the people complaining that there is no Western events 
on any of the schedules, really. Um, with looking at the future of the sport, obviously they used to go out west, and there's a whole different conversation around this. But uh, I'm kind of curious, your guys' thoughts. One, are you for or against events out west? And do you think it'd be – are they missing the ball on not going out to the west, or is it good that we're not going out to the west? I mean, I would love them to go out west because I don't have to make the drive or do any of the expenses for to go out west. I, I get to sit at home in Ohio and watch it. So, yeah, go to Clear Lake. Go to wherever. That's fine. Um, you guys have a great time. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Gas isn't $5 a gallon. You're good. Um, but I don't know. I, like, I think it would be fun to watch. I think it would be cool. I just know, obviously, cynically, it's all about money. And so are these – I don't know if these places just aren't paying. Like, I know, obviously, there's all of the – uh, tourism dollars and the chambers of commerce and stuff that go into where folks go. You'd be stupid to book a tournament at a place that's not going to help you financially at all versus go back to these places that are world-class fisheries and understand that the eyeballs and the stuff that comes with a, like an elite series tournament or an opens tournament, it'll it'll benefit them in the long run. But I don't know. I, I have a hard time believing there's nowhere out in California that'll play ball. So I don't know if it's it's got to just be like a we don't want to have a swing where these guys have to travel 2000 miles, you know, to go do it. I don't know. I, I would like to watch it, but it's easy for me to say sitting here and not having to do any of it. Well, yeah, well side note, with... Yo, go ahead, man. I was going to say a side note, uh, a couple of years ago before COVID, they did have a Western swing planned and then MLF, you know, major league fishing separated from the elites and all everything changed. Then a bunch of people complained and they ended up not going West. Then they moved a lot of the tournaments East because of like economic reasons and travel they cited. Right. But it's like, I think for them to actually set up a Western swing, they would need two or three townships in order to sign up for that because they're not going to send them out there for just one tournament. They would want to send them out there for two or three. So that's where the financial impact comes in. They need towns and tournament able bodies of water. And I just don't know if there's enough of them out there besides clear Lake Delta, Havasu, maybe the Columbia river. So I think, I, I, I think, I think both Andrews are right. I also think that you're seeing, and not to make this political at all, but what you are seeing is a political environment that doesn't really support anglers and hunters, especially when you get into the state of California. Now, mm -hmm. you know, people from the state of California are probably going to be like, now wait just a second. But if you really look at the, the model of conservation out there compared to other states in the union, it's just not one that's like, super pro hunter and fisherman <laughs> you know what i mean and, and to a lot of those lakes to kind of look at it from the environmental side of things there's a lot of those lakes dude that are drying up like it's bad right now you know i, I was watching one of greg blanchard's videos the other day and like there's one lake that there's only like one usable boat ramp on the whole entire lake it's completely dried up you know and um what's the one right now that's drying up in i think it's me yeah mead like yeah. dude it's and they're it's freaking down to, out yeah yeah and they're freaking out and i mean like dude they're finding dead bodies and suitcases and all kinds of crazy stuff out there i mean it's nuts but i think i think that that's two factors i don't think a lot of people look at you know the like you said like a city council there's probably one out there that's willing to do it but most of them probably like the vision for what they think they need to spend their money on is probably not in line with fishing and hunting and more in line with disc golf and bmx riding you know what i mean it's just a different mindset out there 
And that's coming from somebody I've never been to California, but I'm close friends with people who live in California and they're different. <laughs> they have a different mindset than we do on everything. And that's just probably kind of one factor that a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. And to, and here's what my take on this is. And I want to put an asterisk on this conversation being that I couldn't get well, someone that's actually like a lives uh, the professional angler lifestyle on here tonight. Uh, so we'll have to have another show, you know, coming up where we get their kind of viewpoints on this being that they're the ones in the trenches. We're typically just the guys that are watching this. Um, right. Um, trenches. Trenches. Yeah. Um, Sorry. I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> <laughs> to, so to kind of to Andy's point though, when we talk about from a financial standpoint and you talk about how many places you can get on the schedule, one thing I, I want to kind of think about here is so with these with these changes in terms of structure. So the Bassmaster opens, you have to fish all nine now in order to fish the Elite Series, which their reasoning is to create a better basically process of people going to fish professionally. That the way they're more prepared. Yep. With that thinking, you can make an argument that so then shouldn't they be prepared to go out west, like from a trail standpoint, but also from an angler standpoint. You know, if if they're prepared, then they're prepared to travel around the country. I mean, look, they went all the way out to Lake Oahe. Granted, they stopped at La Crosse on the way back. That's still a hike for these guys where I don't know the difference between a drive from somebody from Alabama to Oahe versus Arizona or California, what that looks like. But I'd be willing to bet that there's a big plus side in going out west. And I don't I feel like. I would be shocked if, if there wasn't a, li- a list of 10 to 15 different towns that would be willing to pay for a tournament to come. Because I don't think the numbers are actually... Well, I'd love to know, actually know what really what the numbers are to pay, say, e- each trail to come. But I, I don't think it's a... a In terms of a, a number standpoint, like how many people are living in that? I mean, because look at Lake Hawaii. There was no one at the launch. So like, yeah. I don't think that's a factor in this. Well, you know, one thing that interests me, though, like, you know, you talk about the Elite Series and you talk about MLF and all that, but we, like, always forget Wild West Bass Trail and, like, the Apex Tour and, like, tours out west, that those dudes are out there winning $100,000 paychecks just like the Elite Series guys are because, you know, they want a professional-level trail out west, and so they just formed it themselves, and maybe that's part of it. You know, maybe, you know, like Andrew said, you know, these city councils are paying for these trails to come. They're just paying for that trail to come, and they're not worried about the Elite Series guys because they know they're going to get more bang for their buck for dudes who live, you know, west of the Rocky Mountains. That's also a huge factor. I don't think people understand, like, the literal physical Rocky Mountains are in the way of getting over there. So, like, it's a it's a huge driving obstacle that people just, like, don't think about. Um, but then number two, like, like, you know, why why would we try to get all these people from Alabama and Tennessee and Ohio and Michigan when we can literally get dudes from Washington, Oregon, and in California to fish these lakes, spend their money in the state, and they're all residents here? And and it draws a crowd. I mean, dude, some of those guys are famous out there and, like, you know, upheld as, you know, as good of anglers as anybody else that's a professional. They just live out west and have never fished on TV before. You know what I mean? So, Bailey, you made an interesting point that where you're like, if if you're trying to weed out people and you're trying to get them ready for a Bassmaster Elite Series, why shouldn't they have to stack up and go out west? I think that's an easy 
argument to make if the elite series guys had to go out west too but the problem is like right. why you're penalizing the opens guys and making them go all the way to california when the elite guys get to stay west of the rockies or east yeah. of the rockies i guess is is kind of tough yeah, yeah. Right. China, boys. yeah. 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 and another west thing too west. you can add in as well is how many elite series anglers are actually or pro tour level anglers are from the west coast as opposed to the central hub of like the tennessee the TBA chain south, right? Like probably nine, 85 to 90% of those anglers live on the East Coast. Or have so, moved here. Or right. have moved here. Yeah. 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 So like they're trying to be more like demogra- geographically located for those anglers. Like, and I think that's one of the things too, like the Bass Opens used to have a Western series and they had poor show out. And that's why they basically deleted that series right is because they didn't have enough participation in the opens events out west to continue them and then Do you think they that changed now though i don't think so just because of the way the west coast is structured there's only so many bass anglers out there as opposed to the southeast and the east coast even new york we lack bass boat dealerships right we don't have a ton of bass fishermen in new york but we have like in the case of Clayton or Waddington, as people show up to the boat launches out west, they might spend all this money to bring a tournament in, and then they might only get 200 people who show up who actually care about fishing. Yeah. And the only economic impact they have is the tournament anglers coming to the town. As yeah. opposed to Clayton, you have a lot of people from Canada who will come down in that relative four to five hour range around to drive up to see a weigh-in because it's so such a heavy influenced area of bass fishing. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was referencing too. It's like, I just don't think that there's a huge bass fishing culture in California. Like, like, well, here's the deal. Like all the dudes who fish in California know each other. Like, like it's a very tight knit community of anglers. I don't think it's anything compared to Tennessee or Northern Alabama or like, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, California is a huge state. But I just don't think there's as many bass fishermen out there as maybe we think there is. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but it's just like you know, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. It's just you don't think California and you think bass boat sales. You think Texas and Tennessee and Alabama and North Carolina. You know, just like you said about New York. Like there's just not a ton. Like I'll go up to Michigan. I never see a bass boat. Like me and Ben are the only bass boat that I see when I go to Michigan. The rest of it's walleye guys. Like, I wonder if there's something similar out in California where you got a lot of dudes who fish salt or do salt water recreation type deal. And then like there's other types of outdoor recreation other than fishing that's way, way more popular than bass fishing in California. I think it'd be I mean, interesting to look at the local trails that like a California brings. Yeah. I'd be willing to bet that they blow numbers here in New York out of the water. I, I think personally, in my opinion, I think California has a way bigger bass bass angler like a participation type of deal than almost a whole northeast talk and i'm gonna start googling <laughs> I, yeah, i'm pulling I, up the last mlf at the delta to see how many boats so the mlf no the um was this the toyota series on the california delta which was june 1st through the 3rd in 2022 at 78 boats so if you flip at the actual the trails that are local there though. Oh 
I, I'm just taking like an event level size that we're talking about, right? Like um, a qualification level or a pro circuit. They're getting 78 boats. I know the Apex series gets between, or the Wild West series gets between 75 to 150 boats, but they're traveling from California, Washington, and Oregon to come fish that. And I also believe their entry fees are about half of what the Toyota series is. So it, it it's very interesting on that. Like, and why go to California and pay $7 in gas just to fill up your boat and truck? And I think mm. that's also another thing you have to look at is the yeah, total the cost, once you get there. Yeah, the cost in California, I mean, like, whether it's gas, lodging, anything, you know, visit to the store, you better triple it, quadruple it in some instances. You know, when you get around the Delta, you know, you're talking about gas, it's probably high six, almost $7 a gallon. You're talking about grocery bills that for groceries just for the week to be there to practice and fish a tournament could be 300 bucks. You know what I mean? Like, I think that is a huge red flag for a lot of anglers. I mean, for heck, for even me, like I, you know, gas getting out. I mean, like realistically, I know I, I, I looked at it one time. I wanted to drive from Tennessee across the Rockies into Washington state. It was going to take me like 29 and a half hours. And I would have had to make, you know, at least two stops along the way. That's booking it. You know, of course I was going to extend this, the trip a little bit. Like I wanted to make it across the nation kind of deal, man. Like after I factored up gas, lodging, food, da, 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 da. I mean, man, I was looking at a six, $7,000 trip just to get across the country. You know what I mean? Now imagine you slap a bass boat back there and then you got to go out there and stay for a week or two. You know, you would me. I mean, you want to make it at least two if you're going to make the drive out there to really practice and have a chance of doing well. And then let's say you finish in the bottom, whatever, and you don't make any money. I mean, that's just, it sucks, Bill, dude. Sucks in every shape, form and fashion. That's the thing with like everything in California is more expensive though. So dumb me here in Ohio thinks that like, wouldn't they be able to pay more to bring this tournament here? Wouldn't payouts be able to be a little bit different? Like everything there's inflated. So yeah, costs go up, but shouldn't benefits go up too? Shouldn't payouts go up? Shouldn't the money that you're getting from the local chamber of commerce or the tourism or something, they have a much bigger pot to pull from than mm-hmm. South Carolina to pay a tournament to come in. And it may just be the allocation of those funds. Right. Like I said, going back to my original statement, just the, you know, the driving factors of what they determine that money needs to be spent on is probably totally opposite to what we, right. as anglers, are thinking. Priorities. They're going, yeah, they're going hiking trails and you know nature walks. We're going bass fishing, and they're like, "What? Why y'all want to go catch those little green bass? Like why? You know what I mean? That's." Those city councils, like probably, it doesn't even probably register in their mind as something to do. Whereas in like a visit Knoxville or a visit Waddington, like they're going, hey, bass fishing makes us a lot of money when it comes. Like, so this is something that we probably need to do. It may not. And that's kind of what I meant about the bass fishing culture out there. That I think there's the dudes who do it, but then everybody else is just like, what? That's a, like, how, how do I put this? Here in, Tennessee, here in Tennessee, like when you say you fish, you go fishing or you're a bass fisherman, people are like, oh, yeah, I got my Jim, my cousin Jim Bob does that. If you say I'm a bass fisherman in California, I would say like the normal run-of-the-mill person in California looks at you and goes, what bass? do you mean by that? Like, what, <laughs> like a bass? Like, what do you mean by that? Like, they really, that's, and I'm not saying that to like generalize all Californians. I'm just saying, again, I know some Californians. 
they just don't think that way. Like it's not the something that's on their list of things because it's not within their culture or their realm of thought. You know what I mean? It's just a different kind of thought process out there. I'm yeah, still you're looking getting, to, you're getting to a point thing. where it's like it's. I'm stuck thinking about total dollars, but you're thinking about the piece of like how big a piece of the pie is it? Like in Tennessee, fishing is a lot bigger piece of the pie. Maybe a smaller dollar value total and a smaller revenue generator in general, but it's a bigger piece of the total. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it might be a eighth of the tourism money or something where in California it would be one fiftieth, something like that. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. I don't, I'm so I'm trying to I'm trying my best to play a devil's advocate here because I think we obviously need to have contradicting viewpoints. But I think no, we just all just all agree, man. It's fine. Come like, <laughs> on over. Join the echo chamber and just agree with everything that we say. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure people love to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so with the with the train of thought, we're gonna get off this topic here in a second. But with the train of thought of talking about um, a town that can I pause you for just one second? Just sure. add one more thing to this. Yes. A non-resident fishing license in the state of California is one hundred and forty-two dollars and five cents for the year. Just, no, uh, let's see. <laughs> for one day. <laughs> um. Well, a resident one day is twenty-six. Good grief! That's what I. Yeah, that's like five dollars here. <laughs> a ten-day non-resident sport fishing license is fifty-two fifty-six. Oh, that's not actually it's not bad. It's not that bad. No, I'm pretty sure about it was more than that. Yeah. I'm trying to find the total license sales so I can get a kind of idea. I'm going to take it and then go population of California and see what percentage actually just buys a fishing license, not specifically bass fishing, but I can't seem to find those numbers anywhere. Hmm. I know it's it's comparing apples to oranges here, but like with your your point about the town saying why would you want to go catch a bass type of deal because if they have salt, they have the coast right there. I mean, what do you think about Florida then? Because they could potentially have that same argument and bass fishing's, you know, huge down there. Obviously it's historic. I mean, not that California isn't historic for bass fishing, but I mean, I I just, I I don't see why they wouldn't bring in a league if they were able to make the commute. I think the biggest issue here is obviously the commute and the cost for the commute. But beyond that, I don't see this as being a big hurdle I think, beyond travel. I think when you're talking about saltwater fishermen, you're talking about a completely different culture of anglers that do not give two craps about bass fishing. Like, I went red fishing two weeks ago. <laughs> like, dude, those guys are like, why would you ever do that? Like, why would you ever do that if you can come out here and catch a redfish or a speckled trout or a tarpon? Like, it's just like their their culture mindset around fishing is completely different than ours in the saltwater world. Now there's some crossover. Sure. Like that's a generalized statement for everybody. There's going to be some guy out there like, listen, I've caught a 46 inch tarpon and a 10 pound bass, but it's like most of your saltwater guys are saltwater guys. And they're just not freshwater dudes. Most of your freshwater dudes are freshwater dudes and they're never going to be saltwater guys. It's, it's also very expensive. It's a whole nother level of expense in the saltwater world too, where I think that there's a, I'm not going to say a certain type of person that can do it, but it's just a different kind of, I don't know. It's a different expense level that you get into when you get into salt. In, the, in their mind, everything about it's different. I mean, I fished in a boat all week that had nothing but spinning reels in it, and they did not understand why casting reels and why you over a 7 Like, they just didn't get but it's because their world revolves around catching redfish and speckled trout and tarpon and sharks and stuff like that. Like, it's not even... 
same realm of thought that we're in. At the end of the day, I, I want to sit here in Dayton, Ohio. I want to watch somebody throw huds and catch 10 pounders in California. So figure it out. All right. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> so, so MLF so right. has to up. Somebody go out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rod, I found the population of sport fishing licenses in California was 2 million out of 40 million, which is their population. But I couldn't find how many were freshwater or saltwater licenses just on a quick search. There you go. So, so it's a tiny percent of population that actually cares about fishing yep. in the entire state of California. Yep. And like, I'm basing my kind of thought process off Greg Blanchard, like watching his videos, watching other dudes in California. It's like literally they all know each other because I really think that they really do. Like if you're in the culture, you're in the culture and that's your, that's your set of people. That's your tribe. And like everybody knows everybody, you know, and you may have a 200, you know, kayak tournament, but like that's the 200 dudes who do it. And there's probably not like a ton more, especially when you're thinking 40 million people and only 2 million of them buy a fishing license. Like that's nuts. That's, that's kind of crazy, honestly. I wonder what it is for New York, Andy. I bet we have I'm fun. working on it. So I'm Tennessee. Tennessee's probably like 25 million. <laughs> like some astronomical. Yeah. I bet the percentage so, sees like 50%. About one million people in New York have a fishing license. And the population is 8.38 million, and you have to account that of more than half of that is probably New York City and Long Island. So really, if you take like 4 million people that live upstate, probably most of those fishing licenses are upstate. So a quarter of the population of upstate New York has a fishing license. Hmm. Pretty crazy. Yeah. How many total people in California, you say? 40 million. It's five times the size of New York. Yeah. In population. California, number one, is enormous. You don't realize how big it is. Like, it's literally... Pretty much extends the entire west coast of it take, America. It takes about twelve hours to drive from San Diego to the north side of California. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rudd, I don't know if you know, but Greg's actually not from California. Yeah, I know he's from New York. He lives in California, though. <clears throat> Those are the two worst states to live in. <laughs> <laughs> really, they are. That's just. <laughs> All right. So to move on from this topic, I think uh, this is such an interesting conversation because part of me understands the business side as i think we all do but then it's like there needs to be i think for also from the business side too you would benefit from a a television standpoint if you did go west i think that's what the fans want to see is obviously something a little bit different uh but also i understand from an angler standpoint especially being from the west coast i mean there's the argument that it costs too much for people to drive out, but it it's the same cost for them to drive out here. So it's like, I, I understand both viewpoints. And I don't know the right answer, but I think this creates for another further discussion. I think it'd be good to get on a tournament director, get on a pro and can kind of really dive into this one. Yes. There's 6 million people in the state of Tennessee. And in the year 2021, we sold 3 million fishing licenses. So, so half the state. Half the state fishes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. I wonder what. Good Lord. Look up, just out of curiosity, look up Texas. 
Texas. All right, hold on. Oh, and Texas population is just shy of California. I feel yeah, it like, is. Too. It's like twenty-eight million or something wild. I bet the it's total like... population of Texas is twenty-eight point six million. It's probably like total. <laughs> it's probably yeah, like it's probably like twelve, <laughs> like ten million people in Texas probably have a fishing license. Every tournament, local or big, has like two hundred and the five hundred boats in it. It yeah, seems like people. So. It's like <laughs> high school football and fishing tournaments. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to find. Oh. uh Oh, wow. So y'all are going to be really surprised by this one. So, hold on. I just saw, let me find the statistic in this article. Oh, so, well, this is weird. Annually, Texans purchase more than 2.7 million hunting and fishing license, like, cumulatively. Hmm. That seems low. That seems very low. Yeah. Yeah, I don't believe it. Run the numbers again. Fake news. Yeah, I don't. That's on Fake CBS news. Texas. <laughs> it's all these people moving from California to Texas. Yeah, I'm telling you. Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's two point seven million of each. But even then, man. But it may just be lower population. I mean, like, okay, so Texas has a lot more people. Maybe this is a weird kind of math thing that we're trying to do here that doesn't really make sense because. Texas and California have immensely more people than the state of Tennessee does. That or Tennessee just has a ridiculously high participation in fishing. Maybe which, Texas, they just don't buy their fishing licenses out there. They don't yeah. get checked. I mean, dude. Just come and take it. I mean, like, for real, though, for real, though, like, there's a lot of private water in Texas. There's a lot of areas where you don't have to buy fishing. Like, that's the thing about Texas, man, is, like, there's more private land than there is public land. Yeah, And so, like, there's a lot of people who hunt and fish in Texas that don't need a license because they're killing somebody's deer or somebody's fish, not the people's fish. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, well, we're with this is actually a perfect segue. I mean, they're 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 probably not getting fishing license because they're uh, they're Texas Fish and Wildlife actually doing something for conservation. Um, and that is our next topic is me talking about fishing conservation, because Texas, I feel like, leads the way, especially with bass fishing. Um, so. The trend in fishing converse, uh, conservation is obviously I think this has always been a discussion over time. Uh, there's always been different trends in terms of what works for fish health, what's bad for fish health. Um, but I think with as the fishing industry is booming, uh, we're coming off of this you know massive surplus of involvement of, of anglers uh, post-COVID. Um, there's this mass uh, participation and increase in baits and products and, you know, parks and stuff like this where people are there and they're fishing. But I haven't seen an increase on the conservation aspect. Like what, wh if we're having, you know, I've, there's been studies, I, I can't remember the specific number, but I remember it was an insane amount of number of new people that were introduced to the sport of fishing because of COVID and with that, what are we doing to help the fish? I mean, that's like, they're already, we're getting pressured as it is. And now you have multiple, you know, million more people that are now fishing these places. What are we doing to protect the future of the sport? So I'm kind of curious what you guys, if, if you've seen anything, what your takes are on it. And I know, Rudd, I think you're, you're chomping at the bit to get started this one. So take it away. Yeah, so... My, my my perspective on this is I think I think our biggest problem 
is that we, the people, the the people who are the actual stakeholders in the process of conservation and the ones that are every single year, you know, buying fishing license, buying fishing equipment, buying firearms, you know, buying hunting license. And I'm looking at conservation as a whole. And, and I mean, obviously bass fishing more specific in this, but we, we are all sportsmen in, in that way. You know what I mean? And we aren't being responsible to how that money is being used. In my opinion, I don't think that we're doing a good enough job of demanding a seat at the table and hearing and having our opinion heard about how money is being used because you know, me and you, Bailey, had had the conversation the other night. I really think what happened is there was this massive influx of money from COVID. And I think they lost track of all of it coming in and all the all the money and all that coming in that, that the allocation of those funds was not used in a way that we saw fit. You know, and I'm not saying that it's always going to be used how we see fit, because this still is a process in which an opinion is heard, a vote is made. You know, you're giving your vote into a, a system where you have a constituent or somebody that's representing you in a way. But I'm saying that if we're not showing up and we're not making our voice be heard and we're not being a true stakeholder, meaning that like we really do have a say in what goes on with this money that this money is going to be used in ways that we don't agree with. And, you know, one of those ways is, you know, the whole tournament fishing aspect of things that I'm digging into not to promote my own podcast. I'm literally about to toot my own podcast on your podcast, but I'm about to dig into it on my podcast with some, with some, you know, these, these travel, uh, what do they even call? How how would you like travel Knoxville, you know, and travel Anderton, South Carolina, Anderson, South Carolina, whatever. Was like commerce visitors bureaus and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your visitor and commerce bureau, those kind of people. Like, I'm about to dig into it and be like, you know, okay, we're spending this money. You know, let's say two, it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I don't know how much it is. We're going to find out. But like, let's say it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You you spend the taxpayers' money to get these people to come here. The money makes all, or the city makes all of this money. But how much of it's going back into conservation? You know what I mean? And of the money being made from license sales and excise tax, how much of that money is being put to where we see it to be put? You know what I mean? That's the big deal. I think that's your big thing right there that, you know, we can, we can beat this dead horse all we want to, but until we as anglers make a concerted effort as a group to walk into a city council or walk into a conservation meeting and be like, Hey, I don't think that stocking white bass in Norris Lake is a great idea. So let's not take X amount of million dollars and do that. Let's take X amount of million dollars and stock, you know, F1 hybrids in Watts Bar. Or let's institute a slot limit. Or let's institute a, you know, one smallmouth or no smallmouth per person during warm water months in Highland Reservoirs. But until that happens these people are going to keep making the decisions that they've made before, because I think it's, it's more for them about the money and, and making sure the money's always there. And if we do it like we've always done it, then the status quo will be met and we'll just keep on going. And I think it's time for us to step up and hit the stop button and go, Hey, status quo ain't working anymore. And, we're killing more fish than we're breeding. We're, you know, we're killing more fish than we're making here. We're doing more harm than we're doing good. And 
we need to look at a different model for conservation within, especially my state. I'm speaking from somebody who's speaking from this, my position here in Tennessee, because I go to every other, I've been to a lot of different states and man, Tennessee's boat ramps, conservation models, things like that are just not up to snuff compared to other places I've been in the nation. That's my opinion. And I'm done. <laughs> What about well, you? Yeah, Ohio's not doing anything. Uh, <laughs> we are, like, I used to think we were doing an okay job. And like you said, then you start taking a look around. You start comparing yourself to other states. And we're just, like you said, Rudd, like, we're not doing anything. And I'm I'm coming at this from a little different scenario because I'm coming at this from a river guy's perspective versus an impoundment or a lake or something like that. 90% of what I fish is rivers and creeks. And so... The the thing that we're having a problem with right now is that people are just because you said that influx of people that came through in COVID and, you know, the combine that with the fact that every recognizable spot on that river or on that creek is now posted all over Facebook, all over YouTube, all over Instagram, everywhere. And then you've got these folks that are going out and they're just sniping these spots and they're taking a five gallon bucket with their minners and they go out there and they dip them every day and they keep. Yeah, they keep. Every fish they catch, slots don't matter, limits don't matter, nothing matters, no one enforces it, they just keep them all. And then what happens is these guys go down there every day, they catch some 18-inch smallmouth on a shiner that's 12 years old that has been caught by 50 people and been enjoyed by that river for years. There aren't that many fish in these spots in the rivers. Like People look at that river and be like, oh, there's thousands of fish right here. It's like, there's really not. We have photos of the same fish being caught over and over and over again here. And that's what makes this body of water cool. And that's what's made it sustained for this amount of time. You take that fish out, that fish is no longer in that ecosystem. That fish is not going to be caught another 25 times. That river doesn't look as good as it's looked for the past three, four, five years. And no one's enforcing it. And those guys are going down there and they're doing it every day. They're keeping those 10, 12-year-old fish. And then combine that with all of the, the pressure that everything's getting anyway. And this river, I've seen it in the past two or three years, has just... I'm I'm the wrong way on camera, but like down here. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy to see these spots that you didn't used to see a human. And now there's seven people there, which isn't the end of the world, but when they're not obeying the laws and nobody's making an effort to make sure that they're obeying the laws, that's where we're running into a problem. And then we've got, you know, don't even get me started on like, we have a lake around here called Indian Lake and Indian Lake used to be one of the big, like um, uh, affluent people would go to Indian Lake and they would have lake houses there and it was a big tourism place and all of that it's also our good ice fishing lake around here and what happened is they had a giant like algae bloom and then they had a big uh weed just spurred up like crazy where now it looks like you can walk across that lake it's so gross and instead of going and trying to fix the problem which is like three or four different problems with it they they spend all of this money on these glorified like mowers almost they're these these boats that go out and they they chop up the weeds so that they can make lanes for like boats to go and stuff like that but you go out and you spend all day you spend all this money and gas and everything and they will basically mow this one fiftieth of the lake and then in three days it's right back it's like we're just we're trying to make it seem like we're trying to solve a problem without actually putting in the resources and listening to people and solve the problems and then what we do is we get on things like this and we just complain it's like we, we don't go to the right people to make a change. I'm guilty of it. Everybody's guilty of it. There's a guy over in Indiana that was seeing this happen to his local. I, I can't remember if it's a creek or a river. But anyway, he took it to legislature. He actually got like a slot limit put in on his lake and his body of water because he was seeing it going down. But instead, we just do what I'm doing now, which is 
hop yeah. on the internet and complain about it and not go to the ODNR. The oh no, no. Need a change. I'm, gonna, I'm an emailer and a caller. I'm that guy. Like I'm so like my wife. But even like, if you're just I, one guy, it doesn't do anything. Yeah, yeah. and that's you need, and that's you, need the you need more people. Yeah, yeah you need more people, and, uh, and 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 that's what I feel like is like I feel I feel like I'm on an island by myself some days because like I'm the guy who gets up on a Saturday morning and sends his, his congressman an email about something he disagrees with. But it's like I feel like I'm the only person that does that sometimes. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. another thing to go kind of point you know hit on something Andrew said is like you got these dudes who are breaking the law. I think there's a huge, huge ignorance factor within the past two years, right? You know, you have all these dudes who are brand new to fishing. And I say ignorance in a very, like, nice way, not like a you're an idiot. Ignorance in, there's just a, a lack of knowledge. They are ignorant to the laws. They're ignorant to conservation. They're ignorant to all this. You know, if you take somebody brand new, that has never interacted with the outdoors in the way that we interact with the outdoors and interacted with wildlife in the way that we interact with wildlife. And then also compound onto that, that they don't know the laws. They don't know the conservation model. They don't know a slot limit, man. They're going to go out there and they're going to make really stupid, dumb mistakes. And yes, it's their fault. I mean, you, you know, the lack of knowledge of the law doesn't make the law disappear. But it's like we have to do a so much better job of not only speaking up and, and pushing back on the conservation part of it, but also like taking and making this an inclusive sort of, you know, environment. Quit gatekeeping. Dude, there's so much gatekeeping going on within the fishing. That's a trend. Gatekeeping. You know, well, if you don't drive a bullet, you're a dumbass. Well, if you don't use Abu Garcia, you're stupid. Well, if you ain't using Shimano, well, then you're this. And it's like, so then you've got these guys who just are like, man, I just don't even want to be a part of that conversation or be a part of any of that. They go out here and do their own thing. When if we would have just not gatekept, 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 <laughs> and like, you know, brought them in and been like, hey, here's the laws. Here's how we do this. Here's one way to think about this. Here's that. Then we wouldn't have a bunch of ignorant people running around out here on the banks making stupid decisions and making stupid mistakes that are fixable with just a little bit of education. Yeah. And to that point, I think that's where it calls. And I know you're not going to cover your entire base here, uh, but I think it's a great start. And I'm surprised that there isn't a company out there that isn't taking the leadership role on this. Um, you, you could point at brands. You could point at leagues like Bass and MLF. You could point at, um, you know, content creators, which, Alex, I know you're taking a stab at this, but like this isn't just a one person thing. This needs to be a group effort, as you mentioned Andrew, so like, I'm surprised a big brand like, say, a Berkeley, a Strike King, a Guggen Squad, a someone that has a massive foothold on one, just who are buying their stuff, isn't taking this leadership position in terms of conservation, how to simply take care of fish, or if you are going to keep fish, here are some facts that you should know on how to like, you know, the future preservation of that species, or it should be as as simple as, you know, like a, a from a content standpoint, being able to teach. Like, if there's not education, like, so let me put it this way. So, when you buy a hunting license, what do you have to do? You have to go to a hunter safety. Course. This is it. Yeah, this is one of the answers. Yeah, you're gonna hit it. And while <laughs> I have the answer, this is it. <laughs> and I, there's gonna be some people I think that aren't gonna like this answer, but I think from the overall long term preservation of fishing, this is what needs to be done. 
I'm not saying you need to go to a four days a week, three hours a night, you know, class on this. This is an easy, hey, you need to just complete this quick online thing. And it might even be a start with that where it takes you 15, 30 minutes because you don't need a lot to just do a lot, like to give back to the sport. Now, I understand some people will be like, look, I want to buy a fishing license. I don't want to have to do this crap just to go fishing for one day. But like, look, it's 15, 30 minutes and you might know it, but the couple million people that are brand new to the sport don't. And while some might just skim it, I mean, I think this can overall make some, you know, move some waves in terms of, you know, bring some awareness. I mean, to this let's exact say, let's say that just a fifth of them stop for half of a minute before they make one of the stupid decisions and break a law and go and actually read the manual and the license regulation, book exactly, exactly what their waterway needs. Exactly. And they, and I think that's one thing they can make more emphasis on. If you go and buy a fishing license at a store, right? Like a Dick sporting goods and, and Academy, no one does that anymore. wherever it's they do. Yeah. It's all yeah. online. They should have something mailed or you need to read through this for your general region in your state. Be And you have to maybe answer like a five to ten questionnaire. I mean, because New York State, I mean, Bailey, that's an awesome idea. But New York State is going to say, OK, if you want us to do a 15 to 30 minute video and make you take a test after it's going to cost us a million dollars because we're going to bid it out. Somebody's going to. And then also now your fishing licenses go up too because they need to bring in that money and then it takes away from other things. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just it's a fail safe. And even for them well, to, to go ahead, I was gonna say really fast to that point though. It's like this comment here from Jim Johnson said, here in New York, the DEC will just look at you and say, Yes, you're right. Thank you for the 10,000 signatures and then do what they want anyway. I well, would be willing to bet. In general. Well, I'm just saying, I'd be willing to bet. <laughs> To install, I I don't think a single angler would be wouldn't be willing. Like if you're if you are an angler that goes out and buys a year long license, if you know that your money is going to be well spent back in a uh, conservation, I'd have zero issues in doubling my license fees for the year. Absolutely, if I knew that. Well, shoot, in two years, my license fees are going to double anyway. So you might as well do something with it. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Like it's 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 just kind of blows my mind. It's and I have to I have to just kind of say this. Here in Tennessee, we're listened to much more than I guess you guys are. Like, when we raise a fuss, like, people listen. Now, I think it's the political climate in which I live here in Tennessee that it's just different. You know what I mean? Like, you know, we're kind of like Texas. I mean, we're like many Texas up here. It's like, come yeah, get there some. There was no you know, COVID in Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, there was zero COVID here. Um, But it's just like. Like, great example, anecdotal to me, but great example. I emailed my congressman the other day. I didn't get a, like, automated response back. I actually got a personalized email from him, like, that addressed my question that I had, my concern, and offered to give me his direct line to his, like, office so I could have a conversation with him. And so, like, I think there's a difference there. So maybe we're a little more heard than like New York and California, but like, but, but like that sucks for you guys. Like that sucks so bad. This is me off on like, I just don't even understand because it's like, you are a stakeholder in the conservation of public land and water in your state. Like you are it. There's nobody else that's doing anything to put money into the system. 
Wake yeah. boaters ain't doing it. Sea dudes ain't doing it. Hikers aren't doing it because like there's no excess types on hiking equipment that I know about that goes back into conservation. It's only yeah. on hunting equipment and fishing equipment. Yeah. And so like, well, it's, it's like anything else with politics, right? It's the squeaky wheel gets the oil too. So if you're not squeaky enough, they don't care about you. Like if you're the one person sure. that called your, your congressman, then yeah, he'll be nice and he'll send you his phone number and you can have a nice cordial conversation with it, but it's not going to go anywhere. But I just keep coming back to like Bailey, what you said is I, I don't understand. I'm trying to think any other license, like an actual license where you don't have to take any sort of test before car for your driver's license you have to take a test a teacher's license you have to go through extensive training um motorcycle license hunting license boating license like everything you have to go through some sort of um prior obligation of some sort to get that a ccw license used to be right uh <laughs> until ohio we we don't need it anymore but um That's should carry baby Amen. yeah Come get but it. i'm just saying like anything that was an actual license it's not a license if you can just go on your phone and click check out and buy that's a you're buying a I don't know, a permit, you're buying a tag, you're buying something, you're not buying a license. So I don't, you're I don't a understand. Get out of jail free card. Yeah. It, you're, you're just making a donation. <laughs> basically. Yeah. To basically the ODNR. Yeah. So I have ahead. two yeah. big points on this. Sorry for the salmon fishery. Can you bring it back up? Yes. So in New York State, I will tell you for a fact that um, the people have no say in the salmon fishery management and that's where most of our fishing license goes to and it's a billion dollar revenue fishery in new york state on lake erie and lake ontario they're more influenced in stocking native atlantic salmon in lake ontario that they've been trying to do for 25 years they dumped a ton of money into it we get zero return i guide for salmon and steelhead in the fall winter and spring also in lake erie they're more focused on a walleye fishery than bass and steelhead. They they base their numbers off of that fishery based on what the alawife population is in the lake. But instead, they decide to stock Atlantic salmon and lake trout, what the anglers do not want. Anglers want king salmon, coho salmon, steelhead, and brown trout. But they're trying to fix a population of native fish, one that doesn't take hold, and two, the other one is basically overpopulated, and they eat all the bait fish, as in the lake trout. They're like Atlantic salmon, I mean, an Atlantic ocean cod. They're garbage eaters. They eat everything that swims by them, and our salmon fishery in New York State, Lake Michigan, Lake Huron, is absolutely in the crap house because they're trying to save all these native fish that are actually doing really well and actually have natural reproduction instead of building up a fishery that was really good. And every year we see hundreds of thousands of cuts in the stocking program, and it's literally affecting the bottom line for those fishermen. So yeah. the people in New York state and the great lakes fishery have absolutely no say in the management. We ask for more salmon, more steelhead, more brown trout, and they give us more lake trout and Atlantic salmon. And one of them is a complete utter failure. So yeah, it's. You, that, here's that a, here's a story. Here's a quick story for you on New York. And then we'll get off this, this, this topic. Um, I was, so I was practicing. It was actually very recent. I was practicing for state championships past weekend and I was out practicing and I watched this dude in a kayak. I couldn't tell exactly what he was doing. He had some weird contraption and he was like holding an iPad and crap. And this like $150 kayak. It was, I was intrigued. 
And it wasn't until he cut me off uh, at 10 yards without even looking at me that I decided, I decided to ask him. I said, hey, man, what are you doing? Um, like, not in, like, the, like, hey, dude, what the hell are you doing? Cut me off. Like, the more, like, I, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. <laughs> not like, and, what the hell are you doing? But are you as dumb as you, you look? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he, he had this rake-looking contraption with following an iPhone GPS and then holding an iPad in his lap. And so uh, there was like th- I, more when I started looking around, there was three of these people doing this there. They were checking for invasive species of, of vegetation. Uh, so, cause they don't want hydrilla in New York. Um, so when I asked him this, he informed me about it and actually thought that was kind of cool. Like they're actually trying to somewhat do something with the lakes here in New York, even though we had a conversation where I told him, well, it's like from, from a bass fisherman standpoint, we, we love hydrilla like more, the better. <laughs> Um, but I, I, I brought it up to him. I, I'm like, you know, this guy cut me off. I'm going to bother him with questions now. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, so I got a good question for you. And then there's a big discussion on, you know, vegetation. And he brought up Cayuga, which is one of the lakes that they've been putting pellets down. And it's confirmed. He told me himself that they put down these pellets in places that have hydrilla. Copper. You know, have hydrilla. Or whatever. Yeah, and, or whatever it's called, he, yeah. and he said that that's what they put down to kill that grass and i asked him like does that kill all grass or you know what is that intended to do and he's like yeah it kills whatever's in the area and i'm like okay that's interesting i'm like the whole north end doesn't have any grass anymore he goes well we don't place it in the north end he goes so there's no way the pellets get up there and i was sitting there and i'm like i've seen that lake have a natural lake current of two to three miles an hour and i was sitting there i'm like these people don't know what they're doing and then I asked him, I was like, hey, man, you know, I've been trying to get in touch with somebody, you know, from our DEC on this exact topic, and I can't get a name. And I was like, is there any way that you, you can give me some sort of contact that I can get in touch with somebody? And he goes, we were instructed if we run into anglers that we're not supposed to give any information out. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is kind of interesting that I'm like, OK, I mean, I can understand. Maybe you don't want to give me your boss's contact. And I was like, I understand that. But I'm like, so let me ask you this. I was like, who's at who's has a seat at the table? to speak for anglers. And he's like, the DEC. And I was like, all right, this conversation's over. I'm like, we're <laughs> never going to get anywhere with this because it, no. it's, they're the ones that are in the, the pocketbooks of the state and it's, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's the homeowners that don't have any money invested on the lake that are getting all of basically the rule changes this way for them. Cause we have lakes here in New York that don't have houses in them. And they're some of the best lakes that you can fish on. Yeah. Because, well, yeah. This is where someone said it earlier. Someone commented where it's like lakes are for flood control and for electricity. And it just shows like we're such a small blip on these people's radar. A lot of times like we sit in our little echo chamber and we talk about how important we are and how important the bass population is. And, you know, hydrilla being there, not being there for bass fishermen. It's like for them, it does not matter one bit. We are this very small niche of people that doesn't have a voice and even if we tried to have a voice we're not enough people realistically it's like when people talk about can't believe the industry can't do this or that it's like we're a small industry we're small potatoes at the end of the day and i know we wish we weren't but trying to get these people to make decisions based off of bass fishing is like impossible it is but at the end of the day i mean in the space they still try (laughs) fishermen are like the big contributors so why aren't we the ones with the biggest seat at the table you know what i mean yeah but i hear you it's just, I mean, that's a conversation that is just, that's ongoing and I think could be ongoing for unfortunately a long Ever. time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. So we're going to go hit one more topic. Uh, I actually had five for tonight, but maybe this calls for a part two and we can kind of add some more folks to this panel. 
maybe we can get Gene Gillen as well from the conservation standpoint to come back on and, and talk about some of this stuff. But uh, so the last one for tonight is talking about when we talk about the future of the sport. I think one thing that is on the major rise right now, uh, three of us doing it, one being a chicken doesn't want to do it yet. I'm just kidding, Andy. Um, <laughs> no, he's got he's got a sparkly canvas. Um, is, Little rocket. Yeah. <laughs> it literally is. <laughs> so with with COVID being that people, I mean, obviously boat sales skyrocketed, but kayak sales skyrocketed. And obviously this helps contribute for in terms of an entry level, you know, into the sport beyond just fishing from the bank. This is a really easy way for people to get out and, and fish from a kayak. So what I'm curious is your guys' opinions on this doesn't have, a, have to be too lengthy of a conversation, but with, you know, especially what we've seen with prices rising all over the place and different facets of our living, where do you guys see the future of kayak fishing in the fit, like in the fishing space, maybe more from a competitive side, where do you see that going in the future? Can I start? Yeah, please. Okay. Can, can I so, start? No, kayak fishing. <laughs> so like think about where the U S government, like I hate to be political here. We're trying to go electric, right? Electric everything by like 2035 or 2040. So if, which which sucks ultimately for like bass guides like myself that run not the shiny glitter rocket. Not gonna yeah, happen. Twenty third. It's not gonna happen because the infrastructure <laughs> can't handle it, right? But I mean, when you come down to it, that's gonna be something that's heavily gonna be pushed to go this environmentally friendly way, and more tax dollars will eventually be pushed there by townships because that's what the people want in these major metro complexes where these tournaments are going to be held around these lakes, right? So they're going to see that as an environmentally friendly thing, even though PETA will be disagreeing with us. Um, They're going to end up going the kayak route in the future to hosting bigger tournaments. The money might not flow in like it does for these major bass fishing tournaments but i think you are going to see a more level playing field not in the terms of dollars completely but you are going to continue to see a rise and become more popular because one it's more cost effective for most anglers to get into two it is environmentally more environmentally safe and i mean there's a lot of other benefits it's good for your health and people just love being exercised enthusiasts even though like only one percent of the u.s population really works out on a daily basis so did you know that over <laughs> half the u.s population is obese oh, it's, the other day. I, oh. I can't i'm surprised 100%. it's that low like i thought it'd be somewhere between 70 to 90 percent so yeah 90 so, yeah oh yeah oh, America, America, america's uh, yeah. fat have you like, ever been to ohio dude <laughs> <laughs> have you been to Dude. New York? Been been to Buffalo. Yeah, we don't even into a Popeye's chicken. Bathing suits here. When I get bored, stuff. I literally sit there and people watch, and I try to count how many people are overweight, and it's like 10 to 1. Everywhere you go, it's 10 to 1. Yeah. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> so I, I think I think you're right, Andy. I think, obviously, I, I would think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone that says kayak fishing is not going to grow. Yeah. Um, it's just where's the where's the realistic top out of it i've been on record for like two years saying i think we're not that far away from some sort of kayak elite series where you will see full-time people on an elite series and fishing kayaks we're i think we are getting closer than i thought we would even be 
two years ago at this point. I think it's inevitable. But I think the reason that you're going to see kayaking, you know, continue to skyrocket is because of barrier to entry. Like, mm-hmm. I can't afford a boat. I can't afford forward-facing sonar. I can't afford anything. Like, I, I can't do it. And I have a decent job, and I work my tail off, and I still can't afford a nice bass boat. I can't do it. So you're going to see a lot of folks be like, so you're telling me I can still competitively fish. I mean, 99.9% of people that competitive anglers are not doing it to be professional. They're doing it because it's a hobby, because it's a side thing. It's like, you're telling me I can still do that. I can still get that competitive edge and I can do what I want to do without having to spend 40 grand on a boat and 20 grand on electronics and, you know, a couple hundred bucks on gas and trailers and uh, a giant rig to, to tow. It's like, I can just have a, you know, even a nice kayak, two, $3,000 with some electronics on it. I can go out there and be competitive. It's like, I think that's where the world is probably going for your regular bottom 80% of competitive anglers. I, I think, I think that that trophy behind you, Bailey, and that big happy Gilmore $10,000 check speaks for itself. Yeah. There you go. Like, like it's it's think like five it. years ago or ten years ago if you would have thought that that would have been a thing nothing like you would yeah. I, like even three years ago four years like when i got in a kayak for the first time first kayak tournament i ever competed in was a kbf tournament and the winning prize was only like a thousand bucks i competed in my little local derby and every tournament this year we got a sponsor that guaranteed almost every tournament this year was a thousand dollars to win it and that's my little local club you know what i mean like I think I think you're right. Like barrier to entry is so low on kayak fishing that it is bound to blow up even more than it is. Now, what scares me is it's going to kill itself. That there is going to be a rise of an elite series kayak tournament series. These entry fees are going to get thousands upon thousands of dollars. The kayaks are going to get ridiculously rigged out like Bailey's. Um, <laughs> Bailey. I'm on um, I'm not even on the like the highest pendulum of that. I know, and that's the crazy part. Like you you do have a I mean you have a rigged out kayak, but like compared to some, I mean like I seen a dude, there was a dude while I was fishing the Hobie down on Chickamauga. Me and Bailey were fishing while I was fishing it. The second day I went to a ramp and this is no joke. This old boy pulled in. It looked like a UFO was pulling in. I was so confused. <laughs> All the lights and everything was on it. He had three graphs. He had two Garmin's mounted right in front of his feet. And he had a third one up next to him with live scope 360. He had a trolling motor on the back where I guess he couldn't put his trolling motor on it because or his torpedo because we were in the tournament. And he had a trolling motor mount on the front. Was it? I had okay. He had lights all over it. He had more rods and reels and crap than he knew what to do with. And I got to talking to him about his rig. He said, "Yeah, I run the Torquedo because it's faster than my X5, and I use my X5 so that I can spotlight." I mean, the dude just in motors had what? What is that, Bailey? Six thousand, seven thousand dollars in motors? Yeah, I've seen a couple. I think like Fluke Master has that set up. It's, well. it's crazy. And so what I worry about is, yes, kayak fishing is absolutely 100% the future of bass fishing, fishing in general, just because low barrier to entry. Andrew, what you said about, you know, conservation and, you know, like economics, what you other Andrew said about economics, about the environment, blah, 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 all this, right? But I, I just worry, and I have a theory that, we're going to see a splitting of the fishing industry very soon. We're going to have the exclusive super high end 
thousands upon tens of thousands upon hundreds of dollars in boats, electronics, entry fees, and then you're going to have the common man. There's going to be a split in everything that we we do. You're going to see, and it's happening already. Like these fishing companies are already coming out with fifty nine dollar reels and five hundred dollar reels. And, you know, and so they're trying to market to this vast you know array of folks. And I think it's just going to split more and more and more until there's like literally two segments of the fishing industry. You've got your like rich side and your common folk side or the poor side. You know what I mean? And I think that's going to happen more and more and more because there's more gatekeeping, you know, and the gatekeeping is getting worse. And everybody wants it to be exclusive, not inclusive. That's the most hippy dippy thing I say every time I say it. I don't like when I say it, but it's just the truth. And like, I think it's just going to, you're going to see it more and more and more. And I think, kayak fishing is going to fall in both categories however you want to make it yours you're going to make it that way but i know for me the whole reason i like kayak fishing is roi my return on investment in a kayak tournament is awesome i mean i've made money this year i literally in one tournament i made all my entry fees for my tournaments except for the hobie back Mm -hmm. and that's just in the fishing side of it that doesn't count my content creation just in one tournament, I made all my entry fees, paid for all my entry fees, and made money. Yeah, yeah. and I think it'll yeah. start to be cooler and cooler to be in the working man side of fishing. Like, I think mm-hmm. y- you'll see that cycle happen where, like, it was cool for people to get forward-facing. It's going to be cool for people to get the next thing. And then eventually what will happen is, like, everything's cyclical. So now it'll be cool to win or fish tournaments that don't allow electronics at all. Like, I think that'll happen at some point where you'll have these tournaments where it'll just get so crazy that they'll have to cut the barrier off at some point and say, we're going to have no electronics tournaments or no forward tournaments or no forward inside. Like, there'll be something like that. You'll see, like, you know, everything in the world is cyclical. It's like when uh, stainless steel goes out of style and comes back in style for kitchen stuff. It'll be like when you have reels, at some point, like five to one gear ratio reels will come back in to the fad and you won't mm-hmm. have these people chasing 11 to one reels. Like I think everything will go back and go in its cycles. But I think in the next, I don't know, 10 years or so, you're probably going to see it be not cool to be on the complete edge of everything and have this $80,000 rig and people are gonna be like, Oh yeah, he caught that, but he caught it because he has a $10,000 yeah. setup of, of this. I think from a general fishing standpoint, I'll agree with you. I mean, when you look at it from like a, a general fishing standpoint, I think that's why Matt Robertson has, you know, the right. following that he does. Um, I mean, use an ugly stick still, but I think from a competitive standpoint, I think it's always going to be the guy that has, there's going to be a group of anglers that are going to be, if you don't have the best stuff, then you're going to fall behind. Uh, in most cases, not all cases, but most cases. And that's this what you're pack, seeing right This pack seeing right on Lake Darnell. <laughs> Everybody got beat by a kid in a paddle kayak. First time ever. <laughs> yeah. I, I would did say, have yeah, a pretty good teacher. This is the though. exception. Yeah. This yeah. is the exception, though. I will say that. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, yeah, that's a whole different thing, which actually I've been talking with uh drew and jackson they might come on the show with with fred so that could, be a, that could be a fun show um but I, the, the future of this sport i think is interesting because i think it has the biggest opportunity i think because I, I mean you look at the history and yeah, people have talked about this re- uh, lately but you look at the history of entry fee to payments in terms of you know the boater side and i think the kayak side is actually the only one that's really growing right now in terms of your entry fee to what you can actually, you know, win. Whereas the boat side has 
stayed the same for what 30 40 years or something like that um this is one that i I see i mean 2018 mark edwards had a comment in here uh there's you know national championship and angler for first place won 100 grand and that is i think the entry fee was 300 bucks so like granted that trail had like 800 people uh but you're seeing the payout start to rise like the hobie trail this year keeps every year increasing it with 50 anglers this year first place will take home 45 grand the angler ratio and the entry uh fee to winnings is growing and i think it's only on like it's been around for several years yes but i think now that things are finally coming into a groove where you know the technology and the boats and how these trails are run are catching up and finally starting to fall in sync you're going to see more sponsor dollars fall into it and now that the sport is growing so fast you're going to see bigger companies and i can tell you from the industry side people are taking big notice to it and they're going to drop a lot of money to try to own that space and it's going to become a bidding war over the kayak side at least from a competition standpoint uh but what i've noticed too is even folks that just kayak fish for fun that go out they still pay attention to this stuff because the people that are leading the competitive side of this this kayak fishing sport are the leaders in the sport in general not just from a competitive standpoint they're who people look to from a content standpoint, like Greg Blanchard, Christine, Christine Fisher. They look to them for rigging, for advice. I mean, this is one I, I think the the, ver, the kayak sport is on the verge of exploding if they do it right. And I just think well, that if they don't stray from the path that they're on, especially with like a Hobie, even though the Hobie's disadvantage is that their trail has Hobie in it. But like beyond that, I think this, you know, Sky's the limit, really, for the kayak side. Well, because the kayak side is so much more sincere, too, right? Like, I'm going to listen to the recommendation of Greg or Christine or whatever versus some guy that uh, is on mm-hmm. the Elite Series that switches sponsors every three months and says, you need an arc rod this month. This is the best rod I've ever used in my entire life. And then two weeks later, he goes, you need this new loose TP1 rod. This is the best rod I've ever used in my life. And then you need this Revo reel, man. This reel's, reel's the deal. Like people are seeing through that, and people aren't listening to That's professional anglers anymore. Accent. And yeah, what is that? The Cincinnati accent in Ohio? That's my accent. I always make when I'm making fun of people. It's the same every I time. Kind of, I kind of feel almost attacked by that because it kind of sounded like me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like damn son, you ain't used one of these Revo XXs, man. You just ain't ain't live life yet. I tell you what, Baron sex. We've gone full circle to Boom Hour again. <laughs> But you like like people are seeing through that like the the dollars are gonna leave those pros because they're they're gonna be overpriced for the influence that they actually have and I know this was another topic I think that you were gonna hit Mm -hmm. at some point is like who actually holds the influence who is influencing the dollars that people buying at the stores and if your regular angler is now looking and saying I have no chance at fishing a boat tournament and doing that competitively anymore, but I do have a chance at fishing kayak tournaments. That's where they're going to be paying attention. That's where they're going to be competing. And that's where sponsors probably are going to start pushing their money more and more. And I like yeah. Andrew, what you said was like, it's, it's almost a, it's like they can look to dudes in the kayak space with so much more trust, I guess, yeah. or, or like, you know, this guy is me. Like yeah. I am common with this person. Like, I'm sorry, but of all the outdoorsmen that I'm around, and I'm not <laughs> going to just say anglers, because we, you know, us sitting here are for, for 
very intense anglers. You know what I mean? Like we we are people who fish a lot and we're like we love fishing. But what we got to realize is like most license sales and most people who fish, fishing is one of their many hobbies that they enjoy within the outdoors. And so like, you know, they're just taking fishing in a much more common like aspect than we are. Like we're very extreme within our niche, I guess is the best way to say that. But anyway, so I think when you look at somebody like, like Christine Fisher or Greg Blanchard and like Christine, yeah, maybe in a decked out Hobie, but it's still within the price range of the 80% of people who aren't in the 10% of the bass boats that are being sold <laughs> that are a hundred thousand dollars. I mean, I walked in the freaking dealership the other day where I bought my bass boat and I'm going back up there tomorrow and I'll take a picture of the price tag and send it to you boys. A hundred and fifteen thousand dollars for a skeeter. Ugh. Okay. Especially the house costs around here. Dude, no kidding. Okay. <laughs> like, and that that was like that wasn't even decked. Like that did that had a set of poles and two graphs and a 250 on it. That's not live scope. That's not you know, forward facing, that's not all the other stuff, you know, to get you to the point where you are like Carl Jockison, you are like KVD, you are like these professional fishing guys to get like them. Okay. I can realistically get just like Drew Gregory by walking outside and pulling my, that $1,500 crescent kayak out of my building and going and dropping it in a Creek. Mm -hmm. I'm just like him. I have the same setup. It's attainable. It's attainable. Like, like, and that's the thing about fishing that has always been the coolest part of fishing that I, everybody always touts is that of all the professional sports, quote unquote, it's the most attainable. You can, you can go talk to Kevin Van Dam, but yeah, you're never going to be like him unless you're a professional or you can afford $200,000 rig. And that sucks. You know what I mean? And so that's where I think kayak fishing is going to like, literally kick boat fishing in the balls and take it to its knees is that it's like man you can be like these dudes like you can be like bailey like there is some kid bailey i can promise you right now that watches your videos that watches your videos that goes yeah yeah, poor kid (laughs) but 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 really there is there is some kid that watches your video this you know 14 16 years old that goes i want to be like bailey Cause Bailey wins tournaments and Bailey's cool. And I like the way Bailey does things. And he can realistically with a yard mowing job or a job at the supermarket, afford everything that you have on your kayak. Now it may be a lot and it may be a lot of savings, but at least he can get the kayak and then he can save up a little bit more and he can get the rods and reels that you're using. And he can save up a little bit more and get the electronics that you use. He can never ever do that with Kevin Van Dam's boat. You just can't. And so that's where I think kayak I fishing. Yeah, that's where kayak fishing is gonna be like like right in the nuts. Just right in the nuts, you know. You know what you know what's crazy is we basically like we've become a real sport because you know I was never gonna be in the NBA because I wasn't born six foot seven. It's like mm-hmm. now it used to be you could be a professional angler if you worked your tail off, and now it's you're not gonna be a professional angler unless you were born into a trust fund family. Like your 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 regular person just like the NFL, just like the NBA, just like MLB, your regular person is not going to go out on two weekends a year and qualify for the Elite Series and be able to support it and pay for it now. It's like we're now a real sport where there are some outside circumstances that have to go right your way to be able to play. And I, and I got to address this one comment just because buy an older used boat. You, good luck. 
like boats around here. I, I bought my boat for 25. I sold it for 31. My old one. Mm-hmm. Dude, someone, the dealership offered my dad like 65 for his 2018 Skeeter. Yeah. Okay. I still, and they're going to sell it for 72 to 75 grand. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I that come off very aggressive shadow bass. And I didn't mean that aggressively towards you. I'm just saying that like, <laughs> it's just so it's so expensive like it's ridiculous <laughs> what my boat cost me like it's, oh. it it sickens me every time that i think about that i can afford that boat and that i'm lucky enough to have it like my brain works that way that i'm just like i almost feel guilty sometimes that i'm as blessed that i am and i, and I know that it's one outside of my control but number two that i've worked really hard for it but still i feel bad about it some days and it's like, man, there's so there's days I just want to go sell my boat because I'm just like, man, it's sickening to me that even my boat was as much as it was. You know what I mean? And like, like there's used boats going on the market. Like, dude, I literally, Still. it's Still. like 90s boats. I saw an I saw a 2001 Johnson and a Johnson motor, and it was a 150 fast strike, like a 150 <laughs> something, and it was like some older boat. The dude had it on marketplace for like twenty nine eight, and I think he sold it like within the day. I'll like, also add to that point is if you have a, you want to buy a used boat from the nineties, at least with the kayak, I know that I'm going to get on the water that day, and amen. everything's going to work. No <laughs> gas, no oil, no two stroke yeah. oil, no <laughs> electronics issues. Like if the kayak floats and doesn't get a hole in the back cart where the cart goes in the back of the PA fourteen. That happened to me, um, Hobie. Um, I'm just, I'm just jabbing at Hobie right now. But anyway, like, but like, it, but that's even that's fixable. You know what I mean? Like, that's a lot more affordable than needing a new carburetor or an oil pump or a water separator or a powerhead. All right, cost you fifteen thousand dollars on a two thousand and five Mercury Pro XS. Yeah, the worst thing that can happen to you in a kayak is you get a hole in the hole and you have to go buy a five gallon bucket and a blowtorch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or let's say that your drive blows up in your PA fourteen. Yeah, like it's still it's eleven hundred bucks and it's fixed, which that's a lot of money, but it's not fifteen thousand dollars for a new powerhead. It's, well, I mean, like get warranty on them too, and that'll fix them. So exactly, exactly. So I think that's where. Hey, again, bass boat fishing, kayak fishing. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to be perfectly honest, like if I didn't guide and need like a new boat. Like I would have never probably bought the boat that I did because mm-hmm. it's out of necessity. I need it. Mm-hmm. I needed a larger boat, and came a much larger boat payment, and it it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely oh, gross. Disgusting every single time. <laughs> oh, I put I I put fifty to a hundred dollars in the boat every time I take it out, and I'm like puking at the gas station at 5 30 in the morning mm-hmm. putting gas in and i'm like this no. is absurd <laughs> mm-hmm. i think that is one thing that's cool too with the kayak side of things is it allows you to much more at, from an affordability standpoint uh and to from just a, just from being easier is to travel the country if you're gonna fish from a kayak yeah throw mm-hmm. in the back of your truck yeah okay on a car yeah yeah, I literally yeah. traveled with a Nissan Altima with a Hobie yeah. on top. So, yeah. if, so, to my point, if I could reverse and go 10 years back right now, I honestly would probably get into kayak fishing. Oh, Be yes. 10 years. Full fishing kayak <laughs> charters? No, I wouldn't even, like, no, I'm just saying, like, if I didn't have the guide business, if I didn't want to be a guide, right, 
and I was 10 years younger today, in today's economy and everything else going on, I would buy a kayak. Yeah. Yeah. Because I could still fish. And I think I think so many people are craving being out and going and doing and in and being outdoors. And the kayak is so accessible. And I'll tell you a whole segment of the kayak world that we don't realize exists, but that I also think we can get the attention of in the kayak fishing side of things is just recreational kayakers. Like I was talking to Crescent when I went and picked up my Sholey and they were like, (laughs) they were like, they were like, this Sholey is a venture for us that we're super nervous about because every Crescent kayak that we sell is a recreational kayak. And like, man, you don't, you guys, I don't know about where you live, but around me do recreational kayaking is flipping huge. Yeah. I hate them. They suck. They come around the, the whole rubber regatta comes around the corner and you got 300 kayaks. I love love it. I was going to start calling the rubber regattas, but like, dude, like, that that is such a huge thing. I mean, like, there's a couple YouTube channels that I watch because they do kayak camping. They care nothing about fishing, mm-hmm. but like, man, they're into their kayaks. And like, I thought, man, what if we could just pique their interest about fishing? What opens up a whole door that we've never even ta- you could never tap to tap into with the bass fishing world. Like, there's nobody that bass boat camps that I know about. Like that that's a industry that we can tap into, but like kayaking and camping could easily, easily transfer into kayak fishing and camping. And we hit a brand new market. Are you ready for the flip side of this argument that has got me upset over the past, like six months to a year is that yes. here in Ohio and our river system that we have right here, they're trying to make it a, a tourism destination for recreational kayaking. And so they're trying to make this whole river system from like sydney ohio all the way down to cincinnati this recreational friendly two-day float three-day tr- float and what happens is they have to take out all the low head dams to do that or they have to ruin the low head dams to do that and then it ruins our river levels those low head dams obviously hold your levels and hold your depth and hold your fish throughout different parts of the river system and so they're starting to um either take them out completely or mess them up so that folks can have this one continuous kayak trip down this river and we've seen it already happen to one of the rivers around here when they took out the low head dams that just there's no real fish there anymore they go like now they they've want from a i don't know an average pool of three or four feet to like six inches because you take out the low heads and you take out the depth that they hold and then now they're nothing but basically like flood control rivers and so Man. just be, be careful what you wish for on the recreational <laughs> side because it, it ruins <laughs> you know that's the one of those things if we get them into the fishing side Right, then, then they won't want to take out the... Yeah, then we have the conservation, you know, conversation with them. And then then if we had a seat at the table, because obviously those people have a seat at the table enough that they're able to get a dam taken out and they're able to get that much money allocated to that. You know what I'm saying? So, like, why are we not set right there with them being like, hey, I enjoy the same thing. Just instead of blowing the dam out, how about we just pick our kayaks up and take it over the dam? And then yeah. we're both happy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like make a kayak walk down path. Exactly. Yeah. Well, here in here right in the town that I live in, fifteen million dollars was in an account for the city of Knoxville. It's a big account. Nobody had touched it, and the yeah. money was to be used to make recreational areas for people. Somebody went down there and was like, "Hey, can we use that money?" 
And they're like, sure. And so they're building ramps along a creek here in town that runs all the way to a lake, using all that money to build all these different ramps, all these different access points, specifically for recreational kayakers. Doing nothing for the conservation of the creek, nothing for a stocking program, nothing to make it more accessible for anglers, just for the recreational kayak fishermen or kayak guys, kayak people, not fishermen, just kayak people. And all it took was like 150 signatures from people who were like, we well, want to clean up Beaver Creek. And and like the city of Knoxville was like, all right, here's the money. Go take it. Use it. Like that's also, how wait, you're, you're allowed to make that accent, but it's offensive when I do it. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I, mean, <laughs> I can make fun of my own, all right? I do it better, too, because, I mean, it's like, hell fire, boy, I tell you what. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but, like, like that's how easy yeah. it is to, I think, like, influence that. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. but we just have, going back, we just have to have a seat at the table. Like, we got to yeah. start making a, a concerted effort to have a seat at the table. Agreed. Yep. Well, fellas, anything, uh, any last remarks on the topics that we uh, discussed tonight before we sign out here? I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah, that was good. We definitely have a part two coming because there were some topics that we did not discuss. So we'll have to uh, add to the panel to be more thorough the next time, especially when we're speaking on the professional level type of thing. We We have some buddies that I'm sure will come and join and gladly talk about this stuff. Um, but also Deacon is actually working on a cool uh, series with Best from the Bass Boat where he dives into a pro versus YouTuber versus YouTuber slash pro and kind of dissects the three different realms of that, which I think is actually pretty interesting. So uh, make sure you guys tune in to Best from the Bass Boat. But uh, Rudd, Andrew, do you guys have anything that the folks need to know from your guys' platforms that are coming up here soon? still making no. videos still making podcasts <laughs> go look at it all it makes me happy when you do thank you <laughs> <laughs> very well said sir yeah <laughs> well, well guys all of uh rudd and andrew's uh social media stuff is down below in the show notes whether you're watching or listening it is down there as click on it if you you know live under a rock and you're not following or watching them as it is highly recommend it but uh boys this was good and uh we'll see you guys on the next one well that was an awesome show hope you guys enjoyed it if you can and your app allows it please leave us a rating and review it really helps us get seen more which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys so hope you enjoyed it and if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners. All of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners, where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.